Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. We're looking at uh, Jesus and we're looking at faith today. We're in Matthew chapter 15. That'll be the text that I preached from. In some ways, it's a continuation of, of last week's message and um, last week's famous passage, Jesus walked on water and we saw the glorious work of Jesus in his mission to bring reconciliation of people to God. And I said last week, and I want to restate that again with great clarity, that Jesus is ultimately and primarily concerned and committed to reconciling us and all people to God. That's his mission and his ministry. Um, He did not come primarily to change our social and our economic and our political status. His mission as he was on earth was to proclaim reconciliation to God. He said, the kingdom of heaven is near, repent and believe. Now, having said that, it would be important to say that reconciled people, people who enter into his kingdom, his rule and reign in their hearts, live changed lives, and they have a tremendous and deep and profound effect in bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth. And they live lives of impact and change, social, economic, and political in their spheres of influence. And they do that as as reconciled people. I want to give you a framework to understand Matthew chapter 15. And if you know your Gospels, this is also a story that appears in Mark chapter 7. And the framework would be this, three simple um, frames for us to understand this section. First, the morality of cleanliness. So first thing we're going to deal with, the morality of cleanliness. Secondly, the problem is inside, not outside. And thirdly, his goodness not ours. So the morality of cleanliness, inside, not outside. And lastly, his goodness, not our goodness. So if you join me as we turn to Matthew chapter 15, we'll pray as we begin. Thank you, Lord, for your words that are true. They reveal to us your ministry, your message, and your glory. And may we apprehend that today. In this time and in the way that we find ourselves today, in this culture, in this context that we live, may we let those things take a moment of break and come and sit at your feet and be reminded of faith so that we might experience your power and your mercy and your forgiveness in us as your children. And we pray this through the mighty, mighty, powerful, and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you'll turn with me in Matthew chapter 15, we'll see, first of all, the morality of cleanliness. We are constantly reminded every day and everywhere we go today that we need to wear a mask. And I am really in favor of that. I think that that Um, You will not hear me protesting against that, as some would be like to do. Um, We had our staff retreat, and we sat around a large room with masks on, 
Um, it's not fun. It's not how we like to live, but it certainly is completely acceptable to do so to protect our neighbors and our friends and our family. But what I've noticed is culturally, there's this battle afoot. There's the battle between my rights and my freedoms. You can't enforce something. You can't make me do something. And then, and then the other position, which is you must, you should, if you don't, and what I've seen often in social media on both sides, but I certainly want to take one side today, is I've seen people who don't, who don't wear the mask, who reject that and say things that they can be presented in bad light. And so somehow these are people who are less than human. They are not respecting of others. And there's this really tense situation happening with us. And what I want to say is, for both sides of this conversation, we can take something that is good and we turn it into a legislation of morality. So it is good to wear a mask, but now we have to legislate that. And those who don't obey it are less than good people. Or on the other side, those who say, I have my rights to my freedom. And if you, if you take away my rights, you're less than human as well. And there's this tense battle afoot. And in many ways, this is actually a human problem. It is with us and has been with us from the beginning. And this is no different than what Jesus experiences at the outset in this chapter of Matthew chapter 15. It says in verse 1, Then some Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem. They'd heard about this man who was healing probably walked on water, done all these miracles. And so they come from Jerusalem to speak with them. And here's what they say. Why do some of your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, you and I could sidebar and comment on the uh, almost obscene, simplistic nature of this question. Here's standing before them, at least this prophet, this wonder worker, this man of God, the son of David, and they want to talk about washing hands and cleanliness. But you see, for them in the Old Testament, God had given all kinds of ceremonial instruction about cleanliness as a protection, but also as a distinction. Both aspects of God's requirements were constant reminders of his holiness his separateness, how we are to approach him. He's holy and pure, and we are not. And the Pharisees, who were experts in these regulations, and they had built to them, interpreted them, added to them, they noticed something. Jesus and his disciples were not participating in complete adherence to the law. And it's like they were saying, in some ways today, Hey, why aren't you all wearing your masks? That's what's expected. That's the rule. Why aren't you following the rules? What is wrong with you people? Now, hang in there for a moment and hear me say, in no way do I want to make light of the challenges of the day with respect to this issue. Hundreds of thousands of people have died. There, are, there is deep devastation in communities. But I want us to see a bigger principle. And that is, what do we do and how do we make ourselves acceptable or justified or right? So you might say, well, it's not apples to apples here. 
Agreed. Again, I'm all in favor of wearing masks, but look at the impulse. Look at the natural inclination to take something that is good and make it a rule. And if you don't follow the rule, you are an outcast. You are unclean. This is why Jesus in his interactions with the Pharisees is very important to understand the context of this passage. The Pharisees would say it this way. They would say, listen, God has given us rules to obey and we failed to obey them and we lost everything. We lost our temple. We lost our worship. People got hurt and devastated because we did not obey the laws. So Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Now, what do you think Jesus is going to say to this? He's going to go right at the human inclination to legislate morality. And that's why Jesus begins to describe to the Pharisees the problem is an inside problem, not an outside problem, which brings me to my second point. And I want to read from the message translation. Jesus put it right back on them and he said, why do you use your rules to play fast and loose with God's commands? Clearly God says, respect your father and your mother and anyone denouncing father or mother should be killed. But you Pharisees weasel around that by saying, Whoever wants to and can say to father and mother, what I owed to you, I've given to God. That can hardly be a respecting parent. You cancel God's command by your rules. Jesus says this to the Pharisees, you are frauds. Isaiah's prophecy of you hit the bullseye. Listen, Listen to what he indicts them with. He says, these people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. They just use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. You think God is approachable on the basis of your clean hands an external demonstration of your righteousness. In other words, you gain, you gain God's favor, you're justified, you're made right in God's eyes by an external obedience. And this is the essence of moralism. I am right by what I do. But Jesus is saying something profound here. Actually, God is approachable on the basis of a clean heart, not clean hands. He is known by an internal posture of mercy and humility. Rather, you are made right by something inside of you, not something outside that you display. And Jesus, it says in verse 10, he calls the crowd to him and he says, listen and understand What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. In another place, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Think about that for a second. 
out of the overflow of the heart, our internal will and posture, the mouth speaks. This is basically, I think, a description of social media. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and my keyboard types and I hit reply or send or like. The problem that Jesus is talking about here with obedience is that obedience for justification, for acceptance, is always inconsistent. And I'll demonstrate it this way. So I've been known to not drive the way I should on the roads, and I find it fascinating. Um, If I cut someone off, I'm begging for mercy. I'm sorry, I will wave. But if they cut me off, it's quite the opposite. And that's the problem with our self-justification. We will obey the laws that we find convenient for us. And we infringe on the laws that others find hypocrisy. Jesus, again, is rightly talking about obedience from the heart, not just external performance. Let's go again to this issue in our culture on social distancing. I have watched that the most ardent defenders of it can break it. I have myself. Now again, hear me clearly. I'm in favor of it. It's a good and right and healthy thing. But I see in this phenomenon a human temptation. I'm acceptable by what I do. I'm righteous by how I obey. God accepts me on the basis of what I do. And if others don't obey regulations, they're not acceptable. They don't perform and they don't conform. And Jesus looks at intently at the Pharisees and he, he illustrates this problem. He says here, listen, Pharisees, the moral law, obey your parents, actually supersedes the ceremonial laws. And these laws, these ceremonial laws, which are also God-given, are based mainly also upon human tradition. So why is it you will call someone to obey the second piece of the law, but neglect the higher law? That's our human nature problem. And this is why it brings me to my third point for today and really the focus of the rest of the sermon. Why this encounter with this Canaanite woman is so crucial for us to understand the gospel message. Leaving that place, it says, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him and she's crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering unjustly and terribly. Last week, we heard in the news the devastation, the explosion, the bomb that killed hundreds in, in Beirut, in Lebanon. And that's near this area. It's on the coast. And if you know anything about the history of Israel and its geography, this area was primarily settled by Greek speakers. It was a Gentile country. And so when Jesus withdrew to this place, he withdrew at one level to get away from the demands of ministry, from the crushing expectations and the burdens of serving and healing and blessing. And so he, he escaped to Tyre and Sidon. And 
while he's there, he meets this Gentile woman. And one of the things to know about the Gentiles versus the Jewish people in this time, in this day, that the Gentiles, the Jewish people looked at the Gentiles not as worshipers of God, not as obedient to the law, not as receivers of the promise of God, and, and folks who were outside of his grace. And to insult them, they would often refer to them as dogs. It was a racial slur. It was derogatory. It meant to indicate their superiority versus the Gentile inferiority in view of God. And so here Jesus meets the person who most exemplifies this reality, someone outside of the grace of God. For who he meets, this woman, is female, Gentile, Greek-speaking, unclean, in, in Jewish eyes, godless, and lastly, presumptuous. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that this woman entered the house where Jesus was and to begin to beg him for help. Her daughter is demon-possessed, and she's begging for Jesus to do something. And no doubt she knew what she was asking was completely unacceptable, that Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, this holy man, should be unapproachable by him. And so she goes into this house, and she's begging for mercy. And it says in Mark that the disciples said, Jesus, please, Get this woman to stop. Send her out of here. So Jesus says something remarkable. And at first glance, it probably will feel a little offensive, a little off-putting. He answers. He says to the woman, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Hmm. Here she's begging for help. And he's telling her his mission is to the Jewish people, not the Gentile people. Now, Jesus knows Isaiah 56. He knows that his mission is to the household of God, to ransom captive Israel, as we sing during the season of Advent. But he's also aware that Israel's calling in the world was to be a light to enlighten the nations, to be the message of hope to the Gentiles. That's why in the Romans reading, Paul is speaking to the Gentiles to remind them that they too are recipients of God's grace. And in fact, it was Israel's rejection of Jesus that has led to their receptance of him, their faith in him. And so here Jesus says to her, listen, my job is to save and rescue the house of Israel. And she knew that he shouldn't even be speaking to her in public. And she knew the posture of Israel to people like her. To him, she would be unclean. And she certainly expected a lot and crossed a lot of racial and ethnic boundaries in coming into this house and asking him. And as I said, at one level, we should find his response a little offensive. To be honest, the gospel message is a little offensive to us. It says all of us are outside of the grace of God. All of us have sinned. All of us are in need of mercy. As, as I love uh, Tim Keller, who says often in his messages, he reminds us that we are far worse off than we like to imagine or think about ourselves. And yet here's this woman, 
begging for Jesus's help. You know, I've seen in life, there are remarkable people and there are unimpressive people. And then there are mamas with sick children who pray and have faith that changes lives. I've often uh, encountered people who say the reason why I believe is because I had a mother or a grandmother who prayed for me. So here's this mom with a sick child and a huge heart of faith asking Jesus to help her. And when he says to her, listen, my mission is for the house of Israel. She says, I know you're right. She doesn't object. She doesn't posture. She doesn't attack. She says, I, I get it. I know that. This woman, it says, after he, he says this to her, she came and she knelt before him. And she prayed the three words that Peter said exactly last week. Lord, help me. Lord, save my child. Listen to this. This woman, for all her distinctions, for all her separation, for all her uncleanliness, was in the very same predicament as Peter. And here's Jesus talking about Israel and his purpose, and she is begging him for mercy. In verse 26, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. Now, I have read as much as I can about this passage, and there are some who find Jesus' statement to her incredibly offensive. He, in essence, it seems, is referring to her as a dog. You know, um, a dog in the ancient context would sit at the table or sit at the household. Uh, They would be in the house, but they could never sit at the table. You would never have a dog seated at the table. I had a friend who had a little terrier and that terrier ate with them at the table the same way a child would. This would have never happened in the ancient culture. It doesn't happen in most world cultures. Dogs are unclean. And so it seems here, Jesus has just called this woman a dog. That's why it's helpful to understand the Greek text. Jesus uses the word puppy, fragile, one of great hope and promise. And puppies were in the house. And so what Jesus responds with seems like a culture, cultural offense. And certainly it would get him a lot of press if he said that today and was misunderstood with that statement. But here's what he's saying. He's creating this picture, a family meal. And he's saying to this woman, you are welcome in the family meal. And she says something back to him that is worth you to ponder all week and even for the rest of your life. She says, okay, Jesus, I get it. I get that in the household, the parents and the children eat first. No problem. I don't have any quarrels with that statement. But the animals, the dogs, And the puppies, they get to eat eventually. They don't get necessarily the best parts, per se. But they still 
eat, they still get the blessing. Yes, it is, Lord, she says. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This woman is explaining to you and I this morning and the disciples who were listening that the nature of faith that brings the power of God in our life, into your life, into my life, into her life, the experience of his mercy, her first response to Jesus is expected. I understand that I'm not worthy, but her second is life-changing. In fact, it's world-changing. She says two very significant things. She recognizes that Jesus is not making a racist or a sexist or an elitist statement, but a theological one. She says this, yes, I agree, Jesus. I am unfit. I am on the outside of Israel. I am unclean. I don't deserve the help. And I am not appealing to you on the basis of my goodness or my standing. I have no stature and no standing. I'm absolutely unworthy. But secondly, I believe and I know that you have mercy for me. And I want that mercy. Lord, help me. These two things are held together and they are the essence of the Christian faith, the Christian message, the Christian religion, if you will. They are remarkably and wholly not unlike any other religious system or philosophy. Every other faith or system proclaims you are right by what you do. Wash your hands and obey. You get mercy because you have earned it or because you deserve it. This woman stands before the author of mercy and she simply says, I am not appealing to your mercy on the basis of my goodness, but on the basis of your goodness. In our Anglican heritage, the first person to compile a prayer before we come to the communion table, which I so deeply miss for us during this time. Before we come to this communion table and we get bread from our Father in heaven, we say this prayer. And millions of people say it and have said it for centuries. We do not presume to come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, the same Lord of Israel and the Gentiles, whose character, one version of it says, whose property is always to have mercy. This prayer is based off this passage and this response of this Canaanite woman. We don't deserve on our basis God's grace. But you, O oh Lord, are abundant in your grace and mercy, and we come begging. 
This is why Ashley said this a few weeks ago, why we come to the communion table like this, not like this, receiving, not taking or grabbing. This lady has given the disciples and us a picture of saving faith, of what it means to approach God, to be right with God, to know him and to experience his mercy and his forgiveness and his goodness. Look, if you will, in the last verse, Jesus's response. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.